bounty hunters. They'd become a dying breed in the realm of Welkin ever since the late King Ramsay's Perils V had it outlawed. At least they had overtly, covertly, bounty hunters were thriving. If you needed to have someone killed quickly, quietly, untraceably, and efficiently, and if you could actually find them, it was not difficult at all to hire and acquire highly talented murdering scum in Welkin. Of the individuals who excelled at the highest in this profession, the most revered was a man known as Xander Timogen. I don't believe I've heard of Xander Timogen, your grace. Of course you haven't, counselor. Xander Timogen is a spice harvester in the western plains. A simplistic man, widowed for the last 13 years, who lives on a farm with two teenage daughters. Why would you send a raven to summon a spice harvester to kill two warriors and bring in a necromancer? Because Xander Timogen is merely a pseudonym. His true identity is the Ghost. The Ghost was the most feared mercenary in all of Welkin. But some quietly wondered if his reputation was due more to legend and stories than actual facts. Bards were paid far more coin if their songs were highly entertaining. Consequently, many bards often embellished their tales to make them sound more fantastic. Other bards would hear these songs, unaware of the embellishment, and sing the songs as they'd learned them, thus continuing the facade. As a result, most people were split on how much they should shake in their proverbial boots when they heard the name Ghost. And that suited the Ghost just fine. He preferred blending into the shadows, hiding in plain sight. It was simpler that way, cleaner. Counselor, did you actually send the raven? Yes, my king. When did you do so? Three days ago, sire. Perhaps it didn't make it. The ghost has not yet arrived. The raven returned, as it always does, majesty, without the invitation we'd attached to its leg. Your message was delivered. Then why hasn't he come? The king's advisors did not have that answer. And, if you were being completely honest, it was probably unfair for him to expect the small council, or anyone really to have it. The king, though admittedly brash at times, was an otherwise reasonable man, inviting a bounty hunter to the royal palace at a time when bounty hunting was illegal, was akin to inviting a man on a diet to a pastry feast. Why would the realm's foremost bounty hunter come to the royal palace via invitation? But as the king put it to his advisors, how else were they supposed to contact the man? Your grace, a bounty hunter is not going to come just because you summoned him, particularly this bounty hunter. For all we know, he has already been here, your grace. He is more shadow than man after all, part mage, part warrior, and part assassin. The realm has never seen his like, Highness. Ah, but we have seen him. Our spies have discovered his identity. And now he knows that we know. I think he's intrigued. 
I think he wants to take this job. What tales would the bard sing about a bounty hunter who has hired openly by a king during a time in history when his profession was forbidden? The king's advisers considered this and gave tacit agreement. Privately, his advisers expressed concerns, but they were wise enough to keep them quiet. Several days passed, and there was still no sign that the ghost was even remotely interested in responding. One night, however, when the king and queen had just about drifted to sleep, the king was awakened by what appeared to be a silhouette standing in the corner of his bedchamber. He shot up in his bed and watched as a dark figure silently stepped forward, allowing the moonlight to kiss his shoulders. The man was six feet even and fit. He wore lightweight black armor, combination leather, and thick cloth. The only steel was on his forearms and shins. He wore a black short cape draped off of his left shoulder and a loose black hood that covered his entire head with holes cut out for his eyes. Speaking of his eyes, they were completely white, as if pupilless. He wore a thick leather belt that had several pouches around it, as well as large twin daggers sheathed on his left and right sides. On his right shoulder, he carried a backpack covered in rune symbols. As the king looked on this dark, silent terror, he came swiftly to the realization that, until now, he had never known true fear. Who uh, 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 are you? The man spoke no words. He simply removed a small piece of paper from one of the pouches on his belt and handed it to the king. When the king unrolled it, he saw that it was the invitation he had sent to the ghost. How, how did you get it here? My guard should have... The ghost casually gestured towards the floor where three of the king's elite bedchamber guards were laying unconscious. The king gasped and nearly soiled his pajamas. He looked to his wife, fearing for her safety, and then back towards the ghost. Please, do anything you want to me. Just don't hurt my wife. If the king could have actually seen the ghost's eyes, he'd have seen them rolling. The ghost just shook his head and gestured towards the note that he had handed to the king. Oh, you're here to fulfill the job? The ghost nodded. What payment do you require? The ghost shook his head indicating that he required no money. The king's expression became quizzical. You do realize that I am asking you to capture a necromancer, unharmed, while killing two warriors. My spies have informed me that one of them, Cravex, is still at large, but the others have recently been apprehended by the head of the Mage's Guild, a man called the Provost. I have no interest in being indebted to him, so you'll need to also infiltrate the Mage's Guild to extract Genekis. These tasks are not walks in the proverbial park, my friend, and you would do this for free? The ghost nodded again. May I ask 
Why? The ghost then went into his backpack and removed a scroll. When he unrolled it, it revealed an artist's rendering of a beautiful woman. That was your wife, wasn't it? She was very beautiful. I'm so sorry for your loss. I may not be the wisest man in Welkin, but I can connect the dots easily enough. I would want revenge if Crivex had slain my wife as well. He's already murdered a woman before. That is why he was imprisoned here and forced to fight in the arena. The ghost shook his head when Cravex was mentioned. Ah, well, the necromancer makes sense as well. Her master is among the vilest of villains in the entire realm. Bloody idiot has gone and transformed himself into an onyx dragon, which is precisely why we need his apprentice returned unharmed. We fear that Boro Kane will attack anyone and anything except perhaps his apprentice. Once her master has been slain, I'll arrange for you to be alone with her. Extract whatever measure of revenge you require. Again, the ghost shook his head, and finally it became quite clear to King Peros just who was responsible for the murder of this man's wife. Thamro. The ghost nodded. He then turned and walked silently out of the royal bedchamber. The king leapt from his bed to follow after him, but the ghost, as his name suggested, was nowhere to be seen. What the king did see was the remainder of his guard, each lying on the floor, fast asleep. Meanwhile, Angelica, second in command of the Order of the Dragon, was arriving in the city of Ubris. Ever since a period in Welkin history known as the Ravages, a time when blood mages were said to be at the peak of their powers, the city of Ubris had been impoverished. Vagabonds lined the city walls looking for handouts that would never actually reach their palms. That said, it was arguable that the conditions within the city walls were far worse. Outside of the city walls, you might actually get to keep the money you were given. Inside the city walls, one was almost guaranteed to have it stolen from them. One business, however, seemed to thrive within the city walls, never revealing even a hint of a problem. It was known simply as the brothel. However, those who could think with the heads located on their shoulders knew that the real business was the one located behind the brothel. This quaint apartment belonged to Paul of Quelos, known to few as the alchemist. Angelica nodded towards the single guardsman posted at the city walls. Poor bastard, she thought to herself. He must have angered someone very high-ranking in the king's guard to draw this particular post. She thanked him as he opened the city gates for her, and her horse trotted through. Once past the vagrants, she had only the thieves to concern herself with. The golden sword on her belt proved to be enough of a deterrent, 
And before long, she arrived at the lone establishment that seemed to have activity going on. Once she saw the clientele, the way they attempted to conceal their identities, and the purses attached to their belts, she knew she'd found the brothel. And, once she had dismounted and stabled her horse, she walked around the back and found herself at the entrance to the home of the alchemist. Angelica knocked at the door. The man who answered was short in stature, with bronze-colored skin. He was round in the midsection, had a receding hairline, and had broad shoulders and large hands. She wondered quietly how a man with hands so big could manage the delicate details of potion-making. But that mattered very little. She was here on business, and it was time she got to it. I assume you are the alchemist. I have no idea what you're talking about. My sword says you do. Then perhaps you ask your sword to craft the potion you seek, seeing as how it was smart enough to become sentient. Angelica unsheathed her sword faster than a human eye could blink and rested it at the throat of the alchemist. Or I can make any sort of potion you would like. Next time, why don't you try opening with that, Mr. Quelos? You'll live longer. One cannot be too careful, miss. I never did catch your name. And you never will. We are not here to start a friendship, Mr. Coilos. I have no interest in pushing our beds together and braiding one another's hair. Or braiding thoughts in your case, seeing as how you're quite bald. I do, however, have great interest in your particular set of skills, and I shall have them. What do you need of me? My skills are not for free, even for people I like. And seeing as how you've both threatened me and insulted me... I have coin, little man. Fear not. I need an empathy potion. There is a man I have interest in, and thus far, he has been, well, elusive. You mean your winning personality was not enough to woo him? I will cut off both of your kneecaps and make you kneel in a pool of horse piss. But no... To answer your question, it was not enough. I tried crafting a potion of my own, but that also failed. I was given your name, this address, and here I am. I rode several hours to get here. How much will a potion like this cost me, and how long will it take you to craft it? The time it takes for me to craft it depends on how much you can tell me about the man. What does any of that have to do with anything? Why does that even matter? Which of us is the potion maker, and which of us is the irritating woman who cannot seem to win over a man? Angelica nearly stabbed the alchemist in the throat for that comment. But she kept her composure, as well as her mouth closed. After a few anxious moments, the alchemist spoke once more. I can make a potion specifically for the gentleman you wish to entice. It works more effectively if you have something of his, a piece of his hair, for example, or something that he may have worn recently. But I can make something equally strong if I have more details about him. What can you tell me? He is tall, 
reddish hair. I assume he takes after his mother because his father's hair is dirty blonde. He has pale skin, though you wouldn't know it, given how much time he spends tanning himself. His hands are supple, as he does very little actual work. He is by far the prettiest male I have ever laid eyes on. Is that all you can tell me? What? Do you want to close your eyes and pleasure yourself to an image of him in your mind's eye, alchemist? Story time is over. I need potions, not questions. The alchemist sighed and shook his head. He held up his hands in a gesture of surrender, then turned to his tools and plants and began grinding the proper herbs into fine powder. Angelica recognized some of the ingredients that she had also used in her own concoction and a few others that had eluded her particular recipe. After several hours, the potion was finally complete. The vial the alchemist presented to her was smaller than she expected. Are you certain this will be enough? Give him any more than that, and he will die. If this potion fails, then you will share a similar fate. You're assuming you'll see me again. And you are assuming that I desire to. Trust me, little man, seeing the likes of you once is more than enough to quench my supposed thirst for your company. I cannot say the same for my blade, however. Should your potion fail me... It won't. Slip it into his drink. Once he consumes it... He'll become sleepy and take a short nap. When he awakens, tell him the thing you need for him to do. You'll only have one shot at this. If you accidentally tell him to feed apples to your horse, then that is precisely what he will do, and nothing more. And that failure will be on you, not me. Yes, yes, duly noted minion. Here is your coin. And with that, Angelica departed the shop of the alchemist. Unbeknownst to her, however, someone quite familiar with her was already in the shop, hiding in the back. This other person stepped out of the shadows the moment Angelica was gone. She is gone, my queen. I have eyes, Paul. Will the potion you gave to my sister fail? It will, your grace. And will the potion you gave to me succeed? Yes, highness, though I do not understand why you are doing this. Why give her a potion that fails? Because I believe that when she returns to give me a report, that she will tell me otherwise. I will know where her loyalties truly lie then. It should not have taken her this long to turn that bastard prince into her slave. The fact is, she knows that once I have the dragon rider, that her usefulness will be at an end. Her only recourse will be to make a play for my throne. And I will end her life slowly for that betrayal. With respect, my queen, I would ask that you not tarry in bringing about her death. She means to kill me when that potion fails. And she will be successful in that endeavor, should you be foolish enough to remain where you can easily be found. Duly noted, my queen, I still do not understand why you all cannot find common ground. You are family. You are sisters, for Welkin's sake. You both want the same thing. And that, my dear friend, is precisely the problem. The throne of power is a chair built for one. The tarragon pulled her hood over her head and consumed a potion that the alchemist had crafted for her. 
when she was done drinking it. Her visage transformed into that of a man. She quietly left the shop and drew no attention from onlookers as she did so. While this was going on, the king's detachment neared the place where they had heard that Boro Kane was resting. When the spies they sent out arrived back at their camp, however, it was reported that the dragon had moved. He now sat high upon a mountain, far out of reach of the king's men. Captain Kronos and General Liz conferred with one another on whether or not it made sense to scale the mountain to fight the beast, given their current situation. We pick up with them here. I believe we can scale the mountain and slay this beast, General. You are a man I admire and respect, Captain. And on any other day, I would agree with you. However, I fear that we would lose most of our detachment on the climb. Our intel told us that the beast was resting in a clearing. We haven't the equipment or food supplies for a climb of that magnitude. And what would we do if the beast simply decided to fly off? Or worse, attack us in mid-climb. Are you saying we are to return to the king without even trying? That, my friend, is precisely what I am saying. Not to worry, the shame is mine. I will face his majesty with that news. The king and I have known one another since he was a boy. I served his father. I doubt that will get you much mercy, general. Perhaps we should at least keep a small garrison here to keep eyes on the beast. At least that way we can give an accurate report on its whereabouts. All right, Captain. Stay here and keep eyes on the dragon. I'll leave 20 soldiers with you. Send a raven when he leaves that mountain. And do not engage the animal for any reason. Is that understood? Yes, General. And with that, the General took the remainder of the troops and began the return trip to the royal city, while Kronos and a small garrison of men remained behind to watch the dragon. However, as they kept eyes on the dragon's movements, they were completely unaware of the large group of warriors hidden in the surrounding area that were keeping their eyes on them.